O God, so speak through my words that your word may be heard, and being heard may be believed, and being believed may be lived. Amen. In the beginning, in the day when God made the heavens and the earth, God took the dust of the ground and formed a human body and breathed into it the breath of life, and the human became a living thing. And yes, I know that's not our scripture for today, and we're going to get to Romans, but to get to how we wrestle with Romans, we need to understand that God is a big fan of bodies. Bodies matter to God, not as a threat to be controlled, but as the object of great love. And for that, we have to start with Genesis. So in the beginning, in the day when God made the heavens and the earth, God took the dust of the ground and formed a human body and breathed into it the breath of life, and the human became a living thing. In other words, when God set about to make humans, God created bodies first. God does not seem to even have complicated, com contemplated making humans without bodies. And God looked at those first humans, those fully embodied creatures, and said, very good. This is what it meant for God to create life in God's image, human beings with different bodies from the beginning. This matters, to know that God thinks bodies matter like this. It matters what we think should happen with and about and to bodies and whether we will let God's love for bodies be a part of that. Because bodies are inescapably part of us. Even the activities we sometimes think of as less physical, things like listening or writing or talking or breathing or even praying, we could not do without hearts and brains and skin and other organs and structures supporting them. There is no us without our bodies. Not in this world, for sure. And while we don't know a lot about the world to come, we proclaim in our creeds and we read in the gospel accounts that somehow there are bodies even in the resurrection. We know this because while Jesus' body looked different after his resurrection, he still had one. He still had one. For that matter, let's back up and note, he had one in the first place. God came to earth in Jesus fully divine and fully human. The early church spent a lot of years working through this carefully just to make sure, in fact. Was Jesus really human? Was that body really a part of him? Did he just seem to be human, maybe? Did he jump out of his body when they put it on the cross so he didn't have to suffer? Was he just wearing a body costume? No. He really had a body. He really was fully human. We spent the first few centuries of the church fighting this out, and ultimately we concluded that if Jesus wasn't really human, if Jesus didn't really have a body, then our bodies weren't really redeemed. And we realized if our bodies weren't really redeemed, 
then neither were we. Neither were we. And so aspiring theologians learn now that Gnosticism and dualism and adoptionism and docetism and various other isms are to be understood as heresy because in different ways they deny that bodies matter to God, have been part of God, are beautiful to God. We affirmed as a church at an early stage that bodies were that critical. In fact, from the earliest days of creation all the way through to the end of Revelation, the Bible is full of bodies in this good sense. Creation of bodies and care for bodies and caressing of bodies and protection of bodies and description of bodies. And if we believe in a God for whom all things are possible, then God didn't have to set things up this way which means God chose to do it this way. Which leaves me to conclude, God must love bodies an awful lot to invest so much of the world in them. God must love bodies an awful lot to make them such a crucial element of being alive. God must love bodies an awful lot. You might be wondering at this point, if God loves bodies so much, why has the church so often taught otherwise? And what does any of this have to do with Romans? I wanted to start this morning by laying out my case for why bodies are important to us and to God. Because this passage from Romans is a difficult, confusing word, even in its original language and context. And it's a part of how the church has often taught that bodies are dirty and unholy and to be controlled. And none of it has to be that way. The church has, I believe, been wrong to teach it that way. And I want to offer an alternative. Now in the Common English Bible, the translation that we just heard read, some of this body language is obscured. Now I don't generally invoke the complexities of Greek translation in my preaching. As a rule, I don't feel that the balance of nitpicky and dry to really actually important to how most people live this out is in a preacher's favor. But I think it's really that important here, both because of this passage's history and because I don't think the CEB gets it quite right either. So this issue isn't going to go away just by getting people to read this version instead of another. Really, the key piece to understand from the Greek is that this passage, like others in Paul's writing, uses two main words for stuff that sounds like body stuff. One is sarx, and the other is soma. Soma gets translated directly as body pretty much everywhere, from the CEB to the King James, from here in Romans and throughout Paul's letters. Soma, pretty much wherever Paul uses it, is a neutral to good thing. Soma is what Paul uses, for instance, when he says that the collective plural for Christians is the body of Christ. Soma is what Paul uses when he tells about Jesus sharing his body at the Last Supper. It's not that there are no instances where Paul uses it in less sunny ways, but it's generally an okay thing to have and sometimes a plus. 
SARCs is a little more complicated. SARCs is traditionally rendered as flesh, as in, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is how the NRSV, for instance, renders part of today's reading. Most of the time, sarks, flesh, is something Paul would kind of like to do away with altogether. And flesh is not a bad literal translation of sarks, but in the service of a metaphor, it does sort of muddy the waters. Sometimes it's translated as carnality, which is a little bit clearer. We don't assume that everything to do with bodies is carnality, but we do tend to assume then that Paul means we should stay away from things like sex and dessert, which is not really what's on his mind here. Here in the CEB, it's mostly translated as selfishness or self-centered, which is clearer yet, but unfortunately still misses what Paul is really talking about. Because what Paul is getting at in this passage has really very little to do with actual human bodies and literal human flesh, and less to do actually with individual selfishness. Paul is, like all of us, hamstrung by limited human language options. And so he uses sarks and soma, flesh and body, to get at something much bigger. But throughout his letters, and particularly here, what he is setting up as opposite in talking about the flesh and the spirit is not the physical human body and the individual human spirit. It's stuff that distracts us from what the Holy Spirit is calling us into and stuff that the Spirit wants for us and from us. And whether it's bodies and flesh, law and gospel, or any other dichotomy that you can think of, what Paul is really saying is that none of these things should take the place of God and loving God and loving our neighbor. None of these things should become idols and that they don't have to, because through baptism, God has sent the Spirit to live within us, to direct us in the ways of our loving, liberating, life-giving God, if we make room for that to happen. When we truly allow God's Spirit to direct that love in our lives, we don't need so many specific rules to tell us just how close to the line we can tiptoe before we're out of bounds because it's not about living by trying to get away with as many things as possible. New Testament scholar A.K.M. Adam offers a different metaphor. He says, it's like meditation, isn't it? All that noise of busy thinking gets in the way of the clarity that comes with calming silence. Similarly, all the static from the desires of the Pauline flesh makes it more difficult to hear the spirit. And that static could be from desires like sex or food or the impulse to restrict sex or food in unhealthy ways, sure. But it could just as easily be from desires like money, power, control, security, or any of the other mechanisms we use 
to try to get our own way as individuals or as groups. If we limit our idea of sarks to either physical flesh or individual self-centeredness, we miss a lot. And if we conflate Paul's sense of flesh and body, we miss a lot. In fact, it does the opposite of what Paul is seeking here. It fills us up with noise. It makes us think that the problem is the body, or food, or money, or sex, or laws, in and of themselves, instead of our focus on them to the exclusion of all else. And tragically, in so doing, it often makes us think more about the body, or food, or money, or sex, or laws, often to the exclusion of too much else. So we can end up looking endlessly inward, trying to figure out if our own bodies are precisely controlled enough to please God and making an idol of them that way. We can also find ourselves weaponizing this distinction against other bodies, any other body that doesn't meet a particular, usually external, rarely loving set of standards. Bodies, for instance, with breasts and vaginas. Bodies, for instance, with dark skin. Bodies that are larger than we are comfortable with. Bodies confined to wheelchairs. I could go on. If bodies in general aren't to be trusted or loved, then bodies become a convenient way to sort people out and shame people and justify violence against people. But if God loves bodies, not one kind of right body, but bodies as a rule, and I believe that God's preferential option for those who have been most oppressed and abused extends here as well to extra love for those bodies that have been most violated. If God loves bodies like that, then instead of trying to figure out what precisely are the boxes into which we need to force our bodies and other bodies in order to be faithful to God, then we are free to dispense with the boxes altogether and to get on about the business of loving, protecting, healing, and nurturing bodies, of insisting that children do not belong in cages, that black lives and livelihoods and liberation matter, that women's rights are human rights, that trans is beautiful. This is as crucial at this moment as I think it ever has been. In a moment when COVID-19 is ravaging tens of thousands of bodies around the world and here at home, a moment of renewed awareness of how vulnerable we have made black and brown bodies to violence in our world when everything from grocery shopping to where to eat to how to exercise is up in the air, with so many people struggling so much with how their bodies are responding to all of this. It is as critical as ever for us to hear that God loves bodies. Whatever else you've been told in your life, and most of us have been told plenty, I want to tell you today that I am convinced that not only life and death and powers and principalities, but bodies specifically, cannot separate us from the love of God.
not just because God will look past them or forgive us our bodies, but because God loves bodies. God delights in them. God revels in them. God has chosen bodies for us and with us. God loves bodies, yours and mine and your neighbors. God wants that for and from us too. It is as hard as real love usually is, but it is also as freeing. To love God, who made and chose bodies. Love our neighbor and respect and protect their body. To love ourselves, body and soul. This is the way of our loving, life-giving, liberating God. Amen.